one. They sit atop the NFC North right now, ahead of the Packers, after a 23-16 win against the Panthers, which kind of proved that Matt Nagy's game plan of passing first and relying on your defense works. David, what do you think is going on on this Bears team right now? Well, I think the Bears are learning how to win ugly. That was kind of the stereotypical thing that was said around the media and around the Bears locker room. I think new starter Nick Foles really championed that whole thought. He's like, as long as we're winning, uh, no one can talk because he understands how hard it is to win in the NFL. So I think the Bears are sitting really well. They have, like we've been talking about, a world-class defense coupled with a an, a more productive offense than the previous regime, meaning with uh, Trubisky being the quarterback and being at the helm. So I think the Bears are sitting well. They're going into uh, week six against the, uh, the Rams, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, you know, you already brought up Trubisky, <laughs> which I, that is just like, I hate to do this, but after Sunday – and through watching some of the Rams games this year and their opponents, I, I'm beginning to wonder, you know, you look at the stat sheet and you look at Nick Foles versus Trubisky, and I just wonder what this offense could do if Mitch is able to develop and they sign him on a, a cheap deal, maybe like a two-year contract in the offseason. Like, put the fan relations aside of whether or not they like Mitch Trubisky. But, you know, you look at the games where the Bills had Josh Allen against the Rams and what they're able to do with that offense. I just wonder if there's something left on the table because we have Nick Polson right now. Do you think that that's a fair take? Is there something that this Bears offense is limited in because they don't have Mitch out there? I mean, definitely the ability to lengthen plays. Trubisky is very athletic, and I think the biggest thing with him was in his first two years, I feel like Trubisky was very instinctual and not worried about his reads necessarily. He'd literally throw to the open guy and not worried about processing the information in front of him, or he'd just take off. And Matt Nagy said time and time again, he's just trying to make him a route-reading expert. And unfortunately, quarterback is the hardest position to learn on the football field. I don't care what you say, it's a very difficult position. And I respect Trubisky. I think he's a really gifted, physically gifted player. I think learning an NFL offense is a huge undertaking, and I think he's gotten progressively better. But I also understand that this is a business, and the Bears are expecting immediate results, especially with the amount of money that's tied to certain guys and players. And this is a prove-it year for Mitch. Um, I do think it's an interesting idea that you cited about maybe giving Trubisky a one- or two-year contract. And I've actually thought about that being a good idea as well because you've got so much money tied to Foles. The Bears traded draft picks away to pick up Foles and his big contract. Um, and Trubisky still is young. I think he's only 24 or 25, and they really like him. He's a good locker room fit. He's a glue guy, and he also he is physically gifted. And maybe Foles pushes him more. So going back to your initial question, I think Foles is great at touch throws and getting into streaky passing rhythms. And Trubisky's really good at elongating plays. Interesting. Yeah, you know, you look at the draft, their option is basically find someone in free agency, stick with Foles, sign Mitch, or get some, at this point, it's going to be a lower draft guy. You know, you're not going to be getting like a Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield, that's for sure, who can just step into a starting role and immediately have impact. You're not going to get that Chase Burrow out of this next draft. 
So then it's almost like now the Bears have to play some sort of money ball and figure out what they can get out of the quarterback position to recreate this quarterback that they've never had. <laughs> right? so they've true. never had this, like, amazing quarterback. Even, like, I don't know, I might be betraying, like, my knowledge of Bears history, but, like, Jim McMahon wasn't Joe Montana. Exactly. You know? like, I was just about to say that. So yeah. now they need to figure out what critical decisions they're going to make. Now, I'm going to play a bit of maybe devil's advocate, but, yeah, Nick Foles is in there to read defenses, but – there are a few plays on Sunday where I was just, I don't know, like confused as to what this offense is trying to do because they, there are multiple times when they manipulate the personnel packages, which to me is fundamental in the NFL. You need to figure out personnel. You know, you'll get your deep stats guys talking about like, Oh, the matchups, the matchups. Well, they, they do that. They manipulate the personnel. And they managed to get Anthony Miller matched up against a linebacker in the slot in an empty set. And what do the Bears do? They throw like a pop pass, not even a screen, just like a zero-yard lateral throw to Allen Robinson. Yeah, he gets four yards, but you could have gotten 16 from Anthony Miller beating the linebacker. And so it's some of these little details where I'm just thinking – was that Foles not or not identifying the correct defense and the coverage, or is this some sort of fundamental problem in the game planning from this coaching staff? And it's honestly, the latter. This might be it's petty. The latter. This might be petty, but then you know I'm watching the sideline and I see coaches getting hyped. They're clapping, like getting so hyped on the sideline because he threw a negative yard pass that ended up being a four yard gain versus what they're leaving on the table, which could have been a first down. Yeah, well, that's how the so, Bears are generating offense. They don't have – unfortunately, they have not been getting the running game production they'd like. And I know you have not necessarily thought it was the line. You think it's Montgomery missing these, like, short holes. But I am think the opposite, to be quite honest with you. I, I think that the Bears' line, offensive line is beat up. They lost James Daniels, who's arguably their best offensive lineman. And he was improving. And then their second guy, Bars, out of Notre Dame, he got hurt too. So now they're on their third string, you know, lineman. Third string lineman. Okay, okay. The Bears O-line, now this might be controversial, they are a good O-line. And last year, all we heard was people in the Chicago media, you know, the former players on, like, various media outlets – hammer guys like Hieronis Grassu, who were terrible. How could the Bears try this guy? Well, then a year later, we're watching this guy just kill it for the 49ers, run blocking. Clearly, these players are capable, and I think it comes down to mismanagement. Okay, And and even Rashad Coward did not play terribly. There are maybe one or two plays, you know, like Charles Leno had one whiff, I thought, and where he had a blitz that he totally missed. You know, Rashad Coward had a few bad plays, you know, on zone runs where he just wasn't quite ready for the tempo. And to be fair, he's not a guard, or at least he isn't wasn't prepared to play guard this season, right? I thought they were looking at him in, like, kind of the backup role for Bobby Massey. You know, that's something where you expect, okay, he's going to get used to it. But I didn't think he was bad, okay? And I think a lot of the good runs, I thought the running game looked a lot better. Definitely did. Maybe some sometimes they got stuffed, and that's going to affect your average. But they're inching up to almost three yards per run, which is not that's bad not for a pass first offense. It's not bad for a pass first offense. You're not going to get those 49ers ten yard runs consistently. No. All you need is three yards. 
I'm but, still a fan of Montgomery. I don't think Montgomery is bad at all. I think he's really good, actually. I just think they're not using him correctly. True. Well, this is the other point I wanted to make. And I'll come back to the personnel issue and what I think is the real, real problem on the line. It's not necessarily your front five. I think it comes back to this tight end problem. So I'll come back to that. But it's really – I think some of it is that, you know, there's a philosophy in football coaching where – do what you do well and do it often. And right now, the Bears, if you have a struggling rushing game, and I think a lot of critics are asking them to do this, you need to simplify it. And what we keep seeing is that they're mixing in power and zone concepts into their run game. And so basically what's happening, in my opinion, is on some zone runs, you, you're finally starting to see Montgomery make the correct cuts and have the correct patience. But, you know, then they go into a man-blocking scheme and these power concepts where the hole needs to be hit a lot quicker. And then you're mixing in this patience on a play that hits quicker. Yes. And then you just have this this kind of disconnect between the two concepts. You know, like, in power, you need to hit it. You're counting on every guy is accounted for. In zone, you need to be patient because you're counting on the manipulation of the bubbles or the space on the field expanding to a point where you're kind of like picking a guy out of the run fit so that you don't have to block him. Mm-hmm. And so those are two fundamental different concepts. That's true for all sports, whether it's basketball, hockey, uh, soccer, what have you zone versus man concepts are always going to have fundamental differences. And to me, it's like this running game doesn't have a cohesive, coherent strategy. And that's why they're making these mistakes. And, and that coupled with, this thing where the coaches don't have to be putting out Jimmy Graham on these D linemen. Yeah, I mean, and, again, we know, talked about last week. He's a finesse guy. He's not a three plays on Sunday where he gets beat and his guy ends up just pushing the play or making the play not develop correctly. And it's like, or even when they do put out instead of Jimmy Graham on the run play, they put out Cole Kmet and he motions it at the to the end of the line. And then on the snap of the football, he's running like a dummy wheel route. Well, why not use that big body to block? So I think that it comes down to no coherence in the game plan for what type of runs you want to execute, number one. Number two, I think the tight ends are being mismanaged and just utilized in a very bad in a, a bad way. Like, you saw Carolina, and I hate to go on like a long tangent, but you saw Carolina, when they put two tight ends on the same side of the line, what they're able to do is they gain numbers for their zone concepts because then they have four guys on one side of the line versus basically three to four guys on the defense. And that way you're able to manipulate the space with effective run blocking. Now, when the Bears put out a guy like Jimmy Graham on a normal set, right, three guys on the side of the center against four guys on the defense – he's never going to be able to make that block. They're never going to be able to do it because they're not, it's like a fundamental misunderstanding of the football concept. And so I don't think it's the so line. I think it's just mismanagement and it's, it's befuddling. Speaking of like befuddling and mismanagement, I, I was really frustrated with the bears first offensive drive when they got that turnover and Teddy Bridgewater, like through the interception you know, Gibson got the interception, and then on third down, the Bears call a timeout when, like, they were literally in the red zone. And then after the timeout, they, they like, get a, a delay of game, and then they're pushed back to, like, the 10. Luckily, Foles and Cole Komet bailed the Bears out because that was definitely mismanagement. And I actually heard on the score that Nagy 
just the, the, the Bears didn't know what they were doing and when the in the incorrect set. So that's why they had to do that. But I'm just like, how do you not know what set to go into, especially out of a timeout when you got to delay a game? Okay. Uh, now, we've talked about this in the past. I don't know if this is on the podcast where I stand on timeouts. And this was one of the examples where, I, you know, it's almost like I knew this was going to come up multiple times this year because Matt Nagy doesn't use his timeouts correctly. And timeouts, in my opinion, should only be used to extend halves. And so you're manipulating the amount of possessions. That's where I stand on this. And when you have a Super Bowl MVP quarterback out there, and every almost every NFL team, their Thursday practice is devoted to their red zone offense, red zone defense, right? Like, every team does this. They have it prepared. Every team knows you're going to have to have it ready. So this is one of the more recent things you went through in practice. And at the beginning of the game, you're not able to just flip into that. Like, that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. And so – then luckily the Bears got away with it because despite using that timeout, they were able to manipulate the possessions to where they were able to kind of like bookend um, halftime with offensive possessions. Now, at the beginning of the half, the second half, they weren't able to come away with points, but at least they had a shot at it. And so that's kind of one of those like pivotal strategy things that you want to do, which is why I think they shouldn't be taking timeouts like that. And to your point, after taking a timeout, then they take a delay of game? Is that how it worked? Well, after, no, no, the the, the, after the timeout, they were called for a delay a game. You know, I, I sometimes timeouts, yeah. you know, it's like you could use it as a reset, get in your formation, know the snap count, and then you take a delay a game? What the hell? <laughs> like, well, it, and this it, is it, like it, a timeout it, two minutes and five seconds into the quarter. <laughs> well, it, here's the thing. It would have made more sense to not take the timeout and just take the delay of game and take that time because there, there's a theory – of um, the red zone football play, where once the defense gets backed up in the red zone, they no longer have to defend the high hole, if you will, um, of the defense. So they don't have to have a safety deep. Now they have an extra underneath guy. So it tightens the field. It becomes it almost easier to cover. A lot of defenses will view the back of the end zone as an extra defender. So if you're taking a delayed game because you're not ready, you're saving your timeout, and maybe you think that you're expanding the space that the defense has to guard on the field. I could get behind that. If somebody asked in the press conference and that's what they said, I'd say, you know what, that's not a bad strategy. If you weren't ready, you didn't burn a timeout, you expanded the field, you made it harder. And, I mean, we saw when the field did get larger, it became more difficult for Carolina to defend. But just the total mismanagement, it's just like – Come on, guys. Stop making it harder on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Luckily, the Bears have that defense theirs because, again, they played lights out. Yeah. The, I mean, I think we talked about last week about how we finally saw the tandem pass rush effect kind of take hold of the game. And, you know, that, that, that was a continuation of that. And also just the discipline to contain Teddy Bridgewater on his scrambles. Like, I don't remember them becoming impact plays. They, they didn't become, like – big first downs or touchdowns like we've seen him do in other games this year. Mm -hmm. I thought that was good. That was really good. I mean, the Bears contained him for sure. And another thing is I think Teddy Bridgewater came into the game as the league's highest performing passer, like with the highest passer rating. And he was just average this week. I think he was somewhere around 55%. Uh, so not very good, but the Bears played lights out. I mean, another thing was they're getting after the quarterback. 
Um, they had a couple – I think they had two interceptions maybe. One was called back from Eddie Jackson. Bears are looking great on defense, and I, I really like them actually in this division because I think we, sit, we saw that the Packers were human this past weekend when they played the Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers just torched them. Well, and that was really great because I think the tiebreaker, if you go far enough, will go to um, uh, similar games or similar matchups, right? Once you get past division wins, those games, when it, you know, these NFC South games um, that they have in common or when they play uh, the AFC South, those are going to be interesting. You know, if the Bears go into the playoffs and they have to go through tiebreaker and, you know, the Packers split with the Bears, let's, maybe they both sweep the Lions and the Vikings, the, that Tampa Bay game could be the tiebreaker. It could. Because the Bears managed to win that. And so I think the Bears got a break in that sense. But also we need to remember, you know, Tampa Bay took every penalty you possibly could against the Bears. And they did it against the Packers. So that was a break. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers I mean, clearly and, didn't look the and, same. And there's you know. some people that say the, the Buccaneers are the best team in the league in the, NF, in the NFC. Uh, well, that's, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about something that, warrants a whole nother discussion but yeah if you look at like the sabermetric guys they're like deep stat whatever yeah tampa bay sitting at the top of defense defensive value over average stat you know like yeah they're sitting at the top but football is just not that's not how football works right like we always see the best teams lose against average teams like it happens all the time you know and so take it with a grain of salt tampa bay is good I don't think they're the best team in the league, that's for sure. It's going to be interesting. The next two weeks are going to be critical, I think, across the league, right? Like, the Bears have Saints after the Rams, right? The, the Rams, then the Saints. And so, in terms of the NFC playoff race, after these two weeks, it's going to be hard to change your playoff picture because of actually the backloading of division games. And so if you don't win against the Rams and the Saints, it's going to be hard to make up that ground because then you have to basically win division. Because, I mean, almost every team is going to go, like, close to 5-5 five and five in the last 10 games, right? That's what they usually say. Mm -hmm. These are the critical games you have to win. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, the Saints are missing Michael Thomas, their top-performing receiver. Um, and then they've got the Rams next week, and they're coming off a loss to the 49ers. And uh, we'll see. I know we got Aaron Donald, the best player in, in the NF, defensive player in the NFC. I think they've got the Titans in two, three weeks too. That Titans game is one where I don't think you have to win that. You can still – I mean, you can win the division if you beat the Packers. Um, you might even be able to win it with the tiebreakers with these NFC games. But, you know, the Titans is one where that's not so much of a critical game. You know, that's one where you can afford to take that loss. Um, it'd be nice to have. You know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the Bears could beat the Packers, I think that they're poised to really at least secure a playoff spot. The Packers are always in it, you know. Aaron Rodgers always wills his team to victory. And the Packers were supposed to be – their defense is much improved over the last two years. And – the defense definitely didn't show up. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I got to thank Ronald Jones, by the way, for giving me a lot of points on my fantasy team because uh, <laughs> he just tore up the Packers. And, you know, I, I'm curious. This poses another question. Does defense win win championships in the NFL now that we're in an offensive-heavy league? 
Yeah, I think I remember like two weeks ago. Maybe this is like on NFL Network or something. I, I don't know. I saw some take about how like the best defenses don't win the Super Bowl. All you need is an average defense. And they kind of used like a case study of last year and, you know, the past like decade. And I just disagree with that. I think that is just overblown. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, look at the uh, just the amount of teams that have great defenses right now that end up winning games because of that. Like, it, it's just I, – I just think that is such a flawed take. I don't think offense wins championships. Defense – I mean, look at Bill Belichick. I mean, the, the best program in modern NFL history is built off of his defensive mind and what his defenses do, right? Yeah. I think the best statistical defense in the past 25 years was one of those Pats defenses. And really? so it's like – it's like, come on! Everybody loves offense because it's easy to market. It's easy to sell what the jerseys and like have the players. It's exciting for the common fan, and maybe that's one sense where I'm atypical. I rather watch a two nothing game than you know a, a Rams Chiefs hundred point game. I mean, that's just where I stand. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, do you disagree? I'm an offensive guy, and you're a defensive guy. So, I mean, you're probably watching Iowa play Wisconsin. You're loving those 13 to 10 games in November (laughs) when it's snowing and they're rushing 40 times a game and just for every yard matters. And I'm loving watching Big 12 football where they're throwing the ball around and have five or 600 yards. And I don't know. (laughs) Going back to NFL, though, like the NFL has become such a pass-heavy league and running backs are kind of – being not used as much with the exception of like the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry, just the shelf life for a running back is a lot, you know, smaller that they, they have shorter careers now. And with, I think when the spread got into the NFL, they introduced the RPO or run pass offense was introduced that opened up a variety of opportunities for quarterbacks that were not necessarily drop back passers, but elite athletes that were, good at throwing the ball and just as good at running it. Like we've seen that what Lamar Jackson can do. He's incredible. Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson is a prime example. Russell Wilson is a quarterback um, that's under six feet. He's incredibly smart, has a great arm, and he's tearing up the league. Before Russell Wilson, the only other two successful short quarterbacks, in my opinion, were Doug Flutie and Drew Brees. And now looking, we're looking, we're seeing Patrick Mahomes, we're seeing um, Lamar Jackson, we're seeing Kyler Murray. Um, I know this is kind of a stretch, but some, to some degree, Mitchell Trubisky was fitting that bill because uh, yeah. he could run, he could throw. Uh, there's other guys. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still drop back passer quarterbacks, traditional style quarterbacks, but for quarterbacks that, um, are not afraid to run the ball. It's revolutionized the game. And the spread has allowed offenses to um, stretch the field and, and it gives more time for quarterbacks to read the defenses. And you'll rarely do you ever see huddles now sometimes because they're, I mean, in the NFL, maybe a little bit more than college, but the yeah. coaches are reading the defenses for the quarterbacks. And then they literally tell the quarterbacks via the mics that are in their well, helmets, what their first and second reads are. One of the fundamental differences, though, is in college, I kind of think the coaches are really – like the players, yes, they have incredible ability. But because of the lack of institutional memory, you get a player and you get maybe two or three seasons out of him. 
you don't have that time to develop him to where he's able to make critical decisions on the field. Not that they're not making those decisions, but to the same extent to which Aaron Rodgers is calling a play in the huddle, right? Like you don't have that 10 season player. So it's like, it's better to put in an offense and call place where the coach is controlling everything because you have such a short time with these players. It's just like a better place to spend your resources. Now, I, yeah. I don't think we want to talk about the flaws in the college system. I mean, you're not paying the players, you're paying the coach right now. To profit um, the players. That's how the system works right now. And so, I mean, there's something to be said where it's like, well, maybe that's why the coaches have so much control. They're the ones who are actually getting paid to do this stuff. But that's kind of one of those differences where in the NFL, maybe you don't, maybe you huddle more often because A, you can then see personnel packages maybe easier. You can slow it down. You can get changes because it's more important because you have these long-term developed players, you know, like it might not be as important in college to make sure you get the matchup because, you know, if you're whatever, a big 10 team playing some like bottom tier big 12 team, like maybe it's just easier for you to dominate, you know, it's a little bit of a different approach. Well, I'll go back to like two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago when Foles just started running the bears offense. There was a time where him and Matt Nagy were having a dialogue in the sidelines and Foles kept um, trying to, basically show him or tell him that he wanted to keep the tempo of the offense moving and Matt Nagy wanted to slow it down. And that's a prime example of the play caller not being fully aligned or in rhythm with the quarterback. And the quarterback's the one that's having to operate and execute the plays versus the coach is trying to put the players in a position to succeed. And that's where it's interesting. Offenses are – quarterbacks are having to be able to read offense, defense, understand people's assignments more than ever now identifying the mic, knowing how the safety is disguised or if, it's gonna, if they're going to drop back or whatever. Um, it is really interesting. And running the running game, because everyone's fast now and everyone's strong as hell, like you have to be a game-changing running back. And I think, again, David Montgomery is a great player, but the game has changed so much. The only running back that's having an amazing year, in my opinion, right now is Derrick Henry, and he's a 250-pound running back. That's unheard of. Back in the 60s, linemen were 250. He's big. He can run. And he's done it for, what, three seasons now? Yeah. Whereas the last time we had a player like this, I would probably point to Peyton Hillis. We had him for a year. So already this style of play, Derrick Henry has proved he's had longevity for that style of play. If this can continue to the point where he's in Adrian Peterson and, like, 15 years from now, we're talking about Derrick Henry dominating – I mean, that guy's like, put him in the Hall of Fame before he even retires. I mean, Adrian Peterson, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Derrick Henry's a great player, but Adrian Peterson is a whole different kind of player. Like, he was so dominant when he was on the Vikings, and to some degree, he still kind of is. He just doesn't get as many carries. Anyway, getting back on topic here, uh, what do we got for the Bears picks this week? They're on Monday night against the Los Angeles Rams. Rams are coming off a loss to their division rival, 49ers. Um, it seems like the NFC West is up for grabs because all the teams are good this year, uh, especially with the emergence of the Cardinals and their pretty dominant win in, in Dallas over the weekend. And, you know, the 49ers started off kind of slow but are working their way back. And I, I never would count the Rams out. I think Sean McVay is a genius. And then the Seahawks are, ju- are really good. So, I mean, that division is really strong. 
in comparison to the NFC East, which stinks. <laughs> when we're talking about the NFC West, before this season, everybody knew they were going to be probably the best division in football. So the Rams are nothing to look past, that's for sure. But, you know, this game's going to be very important because the NFC West is no longer looking like a division that could have three teams in the playoffs. I think definitely they'll have two. But to have three teams in the playoffs, it's really hard to do when you have four good teams in the, in the division. Mm-hmm. Usually it's a lot easier when everybody can rack up an extra two points against, like, a clunker of a team. So now this game is going to be even more important because the Bears are going to have to compete against these NFC West teams for the wild card if they they don't win the division outright. And so they're no longer a threat to beat out the Bears from the wild card altogether. But now you have to put up and make sure you win this game so that you at least get one of those spots. God forbid you don't win the division. So basically what I'm going to be looking for is – just the way that the L.A. defense tries to manipulate their pass rush matchups. And what I would expect them to do is just, like, have Leonard Floyd on the outside of the line against Charles Leno and put him in conflict over to whether he needs to help with Aaron Donald with Rashad Coward, who will ostensibly be the starter. He started last week unless something gets shuffled up. And I'm just going to be looking at that matchup because I think that the Bears have proven that their running backs really can't help that much on the pass block. You know, like, I mean, we don't have a fullback. We don't have running backs who are really that great in pass throw. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they address this Aaron Donald question. Because if I'm L.A., I'm not going to put him up against Cody Whitehair. I'm not going to let Cody Whitehair help him get double teamed. I'm going to put the tackles in conflict and force the guards to possibly go one-on-one with them. Um, and if they don't do that, shame on them. <laughs> but that's what I would do. Um, this Rams defense also, I think their BBs look better than previous years when we've matched up against them. The linebackers look okay. I thought last year their linebackers looked a lot better than what they've looked like this year. But I think you might get something kind of similar to what we saw against the Panthers where, you know, the Panthers, the way they played the Bears offense is exactly how I would have played them if I was playing Madden. <laughs> right? They put on a, they lived in nickel coverage and then they put on the dime back. So they had six DBs on the field. And I think on one or two plays, they even were in quarter defense. So they had seven DBs on the field. And that's exactly how I would attack them, especially if you have such good pass rushers like LA does. Now, maybe they simplify it and they just say that we're better and we'll just outplay them the way that the Colts did. But that's probably how I would attack the Bears offense is you create the matchups on the line in the trenches and then you basically play games by putting on various different packages of dbs now the bears last week proved that when they went up against diamond quarter defenses they kind of inflicted their will they were still passing they're still productive is it easier as a quarterback you have a quarterback history is it easier to play against teams that put on six or seven dbs because you know what you're going to get or is it harder to play against a team that only has four or five DBs and you're not, you have to make the read in the moment? Is it easier to predetermine the coverage when you have that many DBs on the field? Ooh, that's a tough question. I feel like it, the whole idea of having six or seven DBs is not to let the offense get behind you, right? So I think the underneath routes will be open, and I think most de- defenses are okay with that because they know the Bears are comfortable not getting vertical. They'll, they're not afraid to. <laughs> Um, so I think it'd be actually, I'm going to go with, it's, 
easier to throw to your check down with more DBs, but it's harder to throw to your primary uh, target and your progression when you just have the regular amount of DBs. Because, um, you know, there's the human element in there. You can be doing your job, but you could slip one second, but be in the right position, and things happen. So what, what I guess I mean by that is just like, you, a DB could have perfect coverage on a receiver, but then trip at the last second, and then the receiver's wide open. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, see, here, that concerns me. In these defensive looks with Nick Foles, when it looks like kind of like 50-50, he has a penchant for being aggressive, and he usually throws his number one option in those situations. Like, when they have main coverage and they're, doing, they're against a mesh concept and they're playing them well, he just throws it to Allen Robinson. Even though maybe someone else yeah. had a little bit of an edge, it seems like Nick Foles is aggressive in that decision-making where he wants to rifle it or just make the big play to his big receivers. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's kind of worrying to me. That's a confidence thing, though. Defense. That's a confidence thing, though. I know Trubisky, um, he's very, like, earnest and hardworking. He just – I think he was afraid to make a mistake. Versus Foles is like, yeah. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to rip it downfield. If I don't get it, whatever. We'll move on to the next play. I also have two more years of my contract and a huge boatload of money. <laughs> so, I have no pressure. And I've already won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, yeah. he's he's secured the bag, as they say. That's just the difference between um, Trubisky and Foles. I think Trubisky was more about – he was not afraid to throw the check down. That's why I think his completion percentage was better than showing than how he actually played versus Foles. He's not afraid to be a high-volume passer and throw it a lot as long as he's getting it vertical. So, we'll see. Well – yeah, I hope he makes the right move, and I hope he takes what the defense is allowing him to produce, and I hope the Bears win. But this should be a really exciting game. I don't think it's going to be high scoring. I think it's going to be like how we've seen Bears and Rams games go, where it's about maybe three to four touchdowns total in the game at most. Uh, combined so or take, each team? Co- combined. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, that's why I think it's going to go on, especially – just the way that uh, the Bears linebackers have been filling. I mean, they were even getting blocked pretty well last week and still making the tackles. So I, I just think it's going to be a pretty tight game. If I were a betting man, I'd say that L.A. is going to win this game. Oops. I think that Sean McVay looks a lot more disciplined this year, um, and you've seen that from their offensive production. It's not so much the just high-risk, high-reward offense. I think you're seeing a lot more conservative moves on his part. And so I think he might be able to make – he's learned from last year and the year before that when he plays a conservative game against the Bears, he usually is able to come out on top. So I'll probably take the Rams by 3-17-14. It's going to be a heavy defensive game. Um, I think teams are starting to key on what the Bears are doing. You you alluded to it, Drew, with bringing in tons of DBs and making Foles have to make all these reads and, you know, making the Bears one-dimensional. And unfortunately, the Bears game has not progressed like it it should be. But uh, if Foles can find some, get some quick, some good, uh, feel good passes to Allen Robinson to get some confidence going, and then open stretch the field more. And I, I really want to see the Bears lean on Cole Komet a little bit more. I think he showed a little bit this last weekend. He made a tough catch over the middle to get his first touchdown of his NFL career. 
And I think that's what the Bears brought him in for, to score touchdowns and complement that with Jimmy Graham, who's a touchdown machine. I, I like the Bears receivers here. I, contrary to your, the, what you were saying about the Rams' offensive output, I just think the Bears' defense is too strong. If they get to Goff, who's a tall, lean quarterback, I think they'll get under his skin and really make him uncomfortable. So I got the Bears 13-9. to Got the Bears-Rams Monday night at 8.15 Eastern time, 7.15 Central time. Tune in and let us know what you think. <laughs>